welcome to episode 64 of Texting, hosted by myself, Justin Vincent, and Jason Roberts. Hey, Jason, how you doing? I'm doing good. How are you doing? I'm doing good. Sorry that I'm a little bit late for recording the show this morning. Uh, we were working on our budget, myself and the wife. Ah, that's a nice thing to have. I well, think we have a budget. I'm just not aware of what it is. Well, you know what happened? We, we <laughs> basically started um, setting things up with Mint. Okay. And you just, you don't realize how long it takes to kind of enter in all your stuff, you know, that like we've got a whole bunch of different accounts and loan accounts, et cetera, et cetera. Right. And it just then, <laughs> as you start entering that stuff, the, the hours start whiling away, you know? Sure. Sure. Yeah. Yep. Sandy pretty much handles all that for us. She has a spreadsheet somewhere. I, I saw it up the other day. I, she's like this, she's like the family CFO. Oh, that's nice. And, and pretty much the COO and the CEO. And I'm just kind of like the chairman emeritus. <laughs> <laughs> I come in like, hey, you know what would be a cool idea? Maybe we should do this. She's like, yeah, we'll take that into consideration. <laughs> She's also the COK, which is chief of kids. She's the chief of everything. Right. <laughs> I'll get calls like, hey, so what are you guys doing next weekend? I'm like, you know, it's just not my department. I'll have to forward you to Sandy. <laughs> right. <laughs> I don't really know. Hey, I, I, you guys got a car, new car. What, you know, how much would you get insurance? I'm like, you know what? I just don't know. Not my department. Okay. Just the <laughs> so breadwinner. Anyway, yeah, well, you know, I just uh, I just write the code, man. That's all I do. Just write the code. So, uh, yeah, I got a lot of topics for today. Yeah, me too. Cool. Well, I guess we're going to have to jam through these. Yeah, take it in turns. Uh, all right, you go first. Uh, no, you go first. You go first. Okay. Well, I'll start with a simple one. Uh, so last night we saw Inception. Oh, and, nice. Good movie. And I, I think that is like the ultimate programmer's movie. Um, because it's like, it's like a series of complex levels and you have to, you have to come to some new understanding to the next, the next step. Yeah. And it's just a series of sort of managing this complexity to get to an end goal. And it was just like, you could almost, I mean, I haven't really thought it through that well, but it just occurred to me last slide. I'm like, like, man, this is the thought process of getting through inception of following through and, and, and the kind of decisions that the characters had to make. It was very similar to, I think the process of sort of, uh, of winding your way through a, uh, a complex project. Did you see the, um, inception infographic winner? I glanced at it, but I didn't want to look at it because I hadn't seen the movie yet, and I, and I didn't want it to spoil anything for me. Okay, but now you've seen the movie? I have seen the movie. so I saw it last night, so I'll, I'll take a glance at it. I'll just ping you the link very quickly, and I know how much you hate me pinging you links. Well, you got to throw me off, man. There you go. Now, now, I'm, all, now I'm all confused. It's like when you, <laughs> every time you Skype me, it's like you're kicking me under the table. I'm like, oh, what? What's going on? Well, there you go. Well, now we're actually talking about it, and I'm showing you the link. So you can click the link and then have a look at the Inception infographic and tell me what you think. Okay, well, now you're going to confuse me. Do I have to look at it now? Yeah. See, now I'm all confused. <laughs> then I'm just, I can't do two things at once. Okay. Uh, so you're, just, you're not going to look at it? I'm not looking at it, no. I'm not going to look at it. See, ladies and gentlemen, this is what I have to deal with. <laughs> Unbelievable. Okay, no I'm problem. I'm glad that, but now I'm confused. So I, I can't talk at the same time. That's it. That's all I had. I just thought, so if anyone hasn't seen Inception, I, I, I'd recommend it. It was, it was a fun ride. It's, like a, it's almost like an um, like amusement park, park ride. It's just intense the whole way through. But it's like intense, but it's all problem, it's all like problem solving for the characters and then and if you're you you as a viewer you're kind of um you're kind of solving the problems along with them like well how how are they going to get to how are they going to make this happen very cool yeah no i th- i really liked it yeah all right so you're up next so the, the one article that i thought was brilliant was um eight things i wish i knew before starting a business 
Did you did you see that one? I I, I read it. I, I I didn't pick that as a topic, but I, I read it. So I'm sure if you bring up bring up the points, I'll remember them. Well, okay. Well, just quickly go through the points, and I think that they are all so ridiculously true. So the first the first point is things take longer than you ever imagine. Yeah, and I think that is that is very true. And yeah, but, well, you know, on that point, uh, one of our listeners, Matt Krieger, he he called. You know, we had a phone conversation about a week ago, and he's like, "Yeah, it's like it's really kind of funny because I was listening to an old episode back in, uh, you know, it was like November, and you said you were release it in two weeks." <laughs> right. <laughs> I really, and I listened to a more recent one. It was like two weeks. I'm like, "Yeah, that's my standing number." <laughs> it's like I have no clue how long something's going to take. It's I, I I am really bad at it. But it's not even just that. I mean, for example, I released Plugio and getting above $1,000 hasn't happened. And we're now a year into it, you know? Right. Yeah. Well, there's a lot of things that make it hard. Well, that's, that's you know, there's the how long it takes to build something and there's how long it takes to sort of uh, build a business, how long, how long it takes to grow to a certain level of revenue. Well, that's it's what not- I like about the, the description, basically. The, the the kind of bold text is things take longer than you ever imagined and and then the description is everything that involves people resources tasks and coordination take longer than you ever think would be possible it mm-hmm. isn't about developing patience as patience doesn't really help you keep driving things forward it's about being realistic in your planning and management yeah you know when you ever say that longer than you ever imagined it reminds me of that star wars line when uh luke skywalker is talking to um han solo and he's like, well, you know, there'll be a reward in, in it for you, you know, saving the princess. And he's like, well, well, how much? And he's like, well, more than you could imagine. He's like, kid, I got a pretty big imagination. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, so anyway, go to the next point. So the next point, and this is something I found to be true. Items that do succeed tend to do so quickly. And he says, I've seen more success, products, projects, employees, etc. start strongly than slowly. The great salesperson or employee is great from the first day. The strong employee contributes immediately. The product, the product that's going to be a hit gets strong. Sorry, the product that's going to be a hit gets very strong initial reactions from customers. Yeah, you know that's. I remember that point too, and it reminded me of a of a similar thing. Which you know, I I like to make these analogies of trading because trading is a sort of very purist thing. It's just you and some numbers. It's your psychological. Um, framework and this sort of abstract concept of a price of something and um one thing i i used to listen to this podcast called trader interviews and they would interview like these expert traders who've been really successful for years and hardly ever lose money or rarely have a losing month and it's really interesting hearing like how they trade and how they make money and and a lot of them had this position like if they put on a trade and they started making and started losing money they would take it off immediately they would just take a loss they said you know if I'm right and I put on a trade, it almost always starts working right away. The ones that, that I'm just like, well, I'm just going to let it ride. It's down a little bit of money. It's just those, those don't tend to work. He's like, and, and, and the, their, their sort of position on it is that, you know, they want to see that they were right. And if they were wrong, then there's too good chance that they're just completely misread things. And I don't know why that is exactly, but I think there's something to that um, about human nature where, first of all, we don't like to admit we're wrong. We like to, like to sort of, we like to be right. So if we're wrong, it, sometimes we're, we're rationalizing if things start going badly and we just sort of like kind of ignore it. Say, well, I hope it's going to turn around, but hope is a dangerous, dangerous thing. Um, it's better to be more data driven and more like immediate feedback. Oh, this is not working. Oh, it's still not working. Done. I'm out. 
And you know, there will be situations sort of in trading and also in sort of building a business where you bail too early and you should have stuck with it. But I think you'd probably err on the side of just um, cut it early. So go on. Okay, people will let you down. This will happen in ways you can't even imagine when you start out. It can range from inattentiveness and laziness to fraud and theft. You'll see it from the people you meet along the way. Uh, your faith in people or belief in them can be a very dangerous thing. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, well, you know, it's, just that, it's that sort of faith and hope sort of uh, problem you get yourself into when, when people start letting you down just as if, just like sort of situations are letting you down and then you just kind of stick with them hoping that they turn around. But, you know, I, I think, you know, humans are complicated and relationships are complicated and uh, people's perspectives and commitments to things change uh, not only, you know, over time, long periods of time, but they can even change day to day and week to week. So someone yeah. can be really into something and then they're just not so into it the following week or the following month. They just like they were in love with it and excited and now they're not or they were focused or they had time for it and now they don't or something changed in their relationship and the way they feel about you and they feel about the project and it's hard to predict those things because a lot of them are random, the things that are, that are happening to them outside of you and the project. I mean, and that doesn't even include things that can happen within the project that change, that, they, that all of a sudden now that makes them less, uh, you know, want to commit or want to contribute or, or want to... But even uh, beyond that, you can just get involved with people who are shysters, you know, who are just going to rip you off. And you don't quite know that they are going to do that until it happens later. And so that's... Yeah, but at the same time, I don't know why this is a good point. It's it's just more of a point that you can kind of take on board rather than an actionable point because it's not like you're going to not work with anyone. You don't want well, to just yeah. Stop. You 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 have to. It's just it's just it's like the cost of doing business. You know, you, you just it's the cost of being alive. You know, there are probably more, probably going to be more positive relationships and positive situations and there are negative ones that there's always going to be some negative ones you just have to factor that in and you can't take it too seriously when it does. And it reminded me of uh, I had this. Um, poster in college of Murphy's Laws. Right. Uh, and it was great because I remember uh, quite a few of them and, and they always ring true in my mind. And one of them was, there's always one more asshole than you counted on. <laughs> that's kind of it. There's just always one more asshole than you counted on. I like, I like that term factoring it in because that is exactly how you need to do this, right? It's kind of like, um, you know, uh, a chain like Walmart will factor in theft, you know? into their profits. Like they'll say, okay, on average, we expect 5% to be stolen, <laughs> you know? And so that's what we were really doing here. We're just factoring in bad people. But you want to be psychologically resilient. You want to be psychologically robust, which mean, meaning that when things go, go south for a little while, you don't want to, you don't want that to affect you and the whole project too negatively. Yeah. Right. So if, so if you're involved with someone and they just let you down, there's a contractor who was doing some work for you and they just under delivered or they didn't deliver or a business partner kind of screwed you over something. You can't let that bring the whole ship down. Yeah. So if, but if you go into the project thinking everything's just going to be all unicorns and rainbows, then when something does negative does happening and it will, and there'd be a number of things negative will happen. You can't, they go, oh, God, I guess this just isn't going to work. You'd be like, yep, that, that, I'm sure that was going to happen at some point. Looks like it happened just now. Okay, fine, let's move on. Yeah. Just like if you're trading, you're going to take some losses. <laughs> you're going to take a lot of losses. You have to learn how to take your losses. Yeah. So, okay, so the next one, and I don't think we need to discuss the next one too much, mm -hmm. uh, just that it's pretty obvious. Good employees are really hard to find. And I think that's, that's pretty obvious. So don't well, need to go yeah, through well, children. you know, what's interesting about that is the, you know, they talk about the truth about programmers, like a great programmer 
is 10 times more, or a good programmer is 10 times more valuable than a mediocre programmer, and like a great programmer is like 100 times more productive. And that's like a Microsoft thing. I think even Bill Gates had said that, that great programmers are the most uh, undervalued and underpaid people in the industry because a great programmer can just create magic. They can do things that a, a good programmer would take a, take them a long time to do if they could, and a mediocre programmer could never, ever even do, much less the fact that it would just take them you know, way longer to do it. Um, so in finding the great people is extremely rare and probably has a lot to do with a certain amount of luck. And, you know, you, you see all these startups like, oh, we always we only hire the very brightest. It's like, well, you know, it's like, you know, everyone's above average. Like every startup has brilliant. I mean, they probably have a lot of good programmers, but, you know, the great, the truly great ones are really rare and they're probably really hard to find. OK, so this one is really good. Um, well, it's not that it's really good, but it's just that I, I completely agree with it. Your bad employees rarely quit. <laughs> okay, this, this, is, this, is, this explains so much about large companies that I've worked in. For one thing, poor performers aren't really all that motivated to look. In other words, they're not going to quit because they're not motivated to look, as that might involve actual performance. For another, uh, no one else is likely to recruit them. Your marginal and weak employees are with you for life unless you move proactively. In many years of running business, the only time this wasn't true for, for him was uh, was during the dot-com bubble. At that time, every idiot could get a job. Right. Yeah, well, I think that's true, right? If, you get, if they get no other offers, they ain't going nowhere. And if they're great programmers or great people, I mean, not just programmers, you know, they're great designers or great business people, they're going to have always have other opportunities. And uh, it's... That, yeah, the bad people are hard to. So the way he sums this up is really great. Your weakest employee, no, your weakest employees are your most loyal. In quotes. Right. You know, it kind of reminded me. Uh, reminds me of you know the soccer team. I've run a men's semi-pro soccer team right. for about the last ten years, and uh, it was interesting. It's like the the weakest players are the ones that tended to be the most regular. They would show up to practices most frequently. They would always be available for the games. And it's like your top players, a lot of times they couldn't make it because they had other obligations. And I used to, you know, we used to practice. Um, and we'd, we'd have at least one or two games a week, and we'd have a practice once a week. And we would practice over at UCLA, which is over on the west side. And it was a big pain getting one, everyone over there because, you know, not everybody lived on the west side of L.A. People lived all over the place. So it would involve driving through traffic for an hour, hour and a half, and all this kind of stuff. And while practices were great for the team in a lot of ways and a lot of fun, what would happen is the best players a lot of times just couldn't make it. They would say, hey, Jay, you know, I really can't make it. I got, you know, this grad school class I'm taking or I have this, stuff, this work stuff I can't make it. He's like, and they'd be like, you know, I understand if, I, if, if you don't want me to play in the game, but I, I really just can't make it. And you'd have all these, you know, eager beaver guys who were like, you know, just kind of role players are okay. And they were there at every practice, right? And the problem was, it would it would make me, I'd feel sort of pressured to, when it came to making up the roster for the next game, it's like, well, I guess I have to put you on the roster because you came to all these practices, right? Right. <laughs> and this guy who's this awesome player, he, he just can't, he just would never could show up to practice. <laughs> and I was just like, oh, that would hurt the team, right? I'd have all these guys out there who were just, you know, okay, or, you know, they're pretty good, but they weren't awesome. They weren't, they weren't uh, ringers. And uh, finally, I just said, you know what, we're just not practicing anymore <laughs> because I don't want to feel that pressure because I don't want to be a hypocrite by saying, well, if you don't kind of practice, you don't play, except unless you're this guy, this guy, this guy, this guy, yeah, this guy, yeah, yeah. in which case you can do whatever you want <laughs> because <laughs> if you're there, we're going to win. If, all, if, you, if I get three or three or more of you there, we're going to win. So I end up just 
you know, as much as I enjoyed practice and just the fun of it and getting a good workout and hanging out with guys, um, it was just, yeah, the, the, the weaker, more loyal, were, were weakest, you know, people on the team were the most loyal and they were the hardest to get rid of. So that proves that point then. So- <laughs> <laughs> For me anyway, that's how I deal with that. All right, no more practice. <laughs> okay, so point number six, um, you will be lucky and you'll be unlucky. And essentially, the long and the short of this point is shit happens. Right. And I that's don't right. really know why that's important to put in there. <laughs> or, or as my, uh, my uh, Murphy's Law poster said it, one goddamn thing leads to another goddamn thing. <laughs> exactly, right. So no discussion needed on that point. Number seven, avoid the myth and misery of sunk cost. That's the whole sunk cost fallacy. Yeah, we've talked quite about that with Pete Michaud. used to, you know, it was... That was a big point for him, and I think it's, that's that's a very difficult cognitive bias for humans to overcome. You put stuff into, you put money and time into something, and it's it's hard to admit that it was just just a waste. Just throw it away. You so want to he he sums it up nicely by saying, "Don't chain yourself to the anchors you lovingly create in pursuit of success." Right. Well, you know, and, and Pete Michaud had a great article about that. Uh, you know, it's probably six or eight months ago, um, and he would say like. Every every time you do something, every time you make some kind of commitment or you put time in it, those things become like a um, – I can't remember the term. You hear this analogy where he draw this board, you know, like the nail board where you draw like um, – you put like a, a rubber band around. And the more oh, yeah. of the, the, the more the nails that you put the rubber around, the, 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 the less flexibility you have and the more yeah. – and it's kind of like each one of those is a sunk cost. And, and, and I think it's sort of like a commitment. It's sort of like something you just – you mentally can't let go of. So yeah. point number eight and the final point is fill the pipe, always fill the pipe. Basically, he's just talking about make sure that you have opportunities. And in many ways, it's a lot like the, the luck surface area that we talk about. Yeah, yeah, the luck, increase your luck surface area. Increase your luck okay. surface area, prospect, get new opportunities, speak to people, network, et cetera, et cetera. Hustle, baby. Got to hustle. That's what it is, hustle, yeah. <laughs> As Travis would put it, got to be a straight-up hustler. <laughs> So, so that's me on that one. Do you want me to go to another one, or have you got? Do you want I to got, go a, I got a bunch. So let me, let me knock out. Um, I got a really short one. So I, I, I came up with a new meme. Nice. What is it? <laughs> uh, so uh, Taylor pinged me on Skype uh, yesterday or a couple days ago, and he's like, "Yeah, I've been playing StarCraft all week." <laughs> and he had told he, 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 I guess he had first pinged me like a, almost a week ago and said that he had spent like the last 24 hours playing starcraft and that he had no intention of quitting anytime soon that he, he said screw it i'm just gonna take the week off oh my gosh, and then yeah. he fixes and then he and he picks his head up i guess later a few days later and pings him, he says yeah but you know i'm now like number 17 on the gold level or something like that and he's and i'm like well have fun and he's like he's like yeah i could have taken a vacation but i just stayed here and i'm like yeah well enjoy the rest of your playcation so I think I think if you stay home and you'll go anywhere and you just stay home and decide I'm just going to play a video game or video games all week, that's yep. a playcation. Playcation, I like yes. it. So we had our staycation, but now we have playcations because I actually have friends. A friend of mine who's the uh, the friend of mine I've told you who's the stuntman Mitchell. He's the mm-hmm. stuntman. He's also the guy who's been teaching um, me and Colby uh, free running. He's uh, he, he's a writer. He's he's kind of transitioning into be a writer director, and so he'll a lot of times he'll either. You know, be on set, being a stunt coordinator, and and for like a month or two, like he was on the Airbender, the Airbender last Airbender movie. Yeah, he's on that. I think up in Canada or somewhere for like a couple months, and then when he's and then when he's off, he just like sometimes it'll take a week or two and just do nothing. You know, or if he um, if he's right, just finished a screenplay and he sent it off to his manager, some studios looking at it, and they're gonna have a meeting. He just just sort of takes a mental break and doesn't get involved in anything. And um, he, what he'll do is he'll just play a video game. 
<laughs> for like a week. <laughs> or two weeks right. just play and it's like the same thing. It's like a playcation, you know. Playcation. Yeah, so that was funny. So nice. uh, I'm just gonna I'm gonna trademark that. So anybody who wants to use it, feel free to you know. Okay, so I got so I've got one. Um I've forgotten who, but someone pinged me on Twitter said, Have you seen this? I think I think it's uh, some young guy. <laughs> that's his that's his Twitter handle, right? Okay. Um, but basically, uh, he he follows me from the tech point of view on Twitter, and he he pinged me this site called datasift.net. and I didn't you know didn't know whether it's going to be any good or not, but I checked it out, and it is going to be the coolest thing ever. Basically, it's made by the same people who made TweetMe, okay. and what they've got is they have um, the full uh, Twitter stream. You know the firehose. Yep, and it's a it's a rules based system, so you will be able to set up uh, hundreds of rules that will allow you to create Twitter streams to get the the exact perfect thing that you want. So rather than just typing in hashtags, you'll mm-hmm. be able to do very complex rules, such as um, I, I mean, some of the things that it does are amazing. Like you can, for example, on a map draw a polygon around a building, say for in a conference center, and just get all tweets coming from within that area. Right. Wow. <laughs> That's really cool. Yeah. Well, you could see you, you. Let's say if there was like a like a major like catastrophe going on, like the Katrina thing or whatever, and you say, all right, I want to see all tweets coming from this part of New Orleans or something. Exactly. Right? Yeah. So exactly. So you can just focus on areas. You can also focus on concepts and intent. So they they've partnered with another company that's going to allow you to, for example, uh, work on get everything related to good intent about Apple. Right. You know, you know, it kind of reminds me of like some of the stuff the NSA works on. Like, there's they had some um, project that came out a while ago. It was called like Carnivore, mm-hmm. late '90s. That would just basically yeah. suck in and analyze all of this information off the web, everything. Which you know they have something like that now. They have variations on that where they just suck in all internet traffic and emails, and they have these really powerful machines and powerful algorithms that they just sift through everything. And that's almost kind of like the same thing. So I think listeners, a lot of listeners will understand this if I say. This is Yahoo Pipes for Twitter. Have you ever used Yahoo Pipes? For use Yahoo Pipes. Yeah, okay. So you've used Yahoo Pipes. You know the way you can like drag things on screen and create all these different kind of rules and connect them. I've actually not used I've played I looked at it one time. Okay, right. Looked neat though. It looked really cool. So basically, in the same way that you can make public pipes with this data sift thing, you'll be able to make public rules and public okay. systems. So uh, there'll be the whole a whole community of rules. And it's, it's going to be just unbelievable for marketing type of stuff, you know. So, you'll, so, for example, you'll be able to just get really, really niche. But let's say, for example, you're following a hashtag about Apple, right? Mm-hmm. And, but with, with this, it's not just the hashtag. Like, you'll be able to type in a whole bunch of different rules. So you'll be able to focus on, you know, Apple, but only iPhones, and only iPhones spoken by people in San Francisco and Washington, and only ones that are where they're kind of praising it and only ones where, I don't know, just <laughs> add yeah. infinitum, different kind of rules. like you, And, and also the technology behind it, they say that, that you know, the, it sounds very interesting. I'm not sure how they do it, but they're saying that they think that they can process millions of rules within a second. So they're That's... processing 800 tweets a second and they'll be able to put millions of rules per second through those 800 tweets. That's super cool. That's super cool. What's it called? Data Sifter? Yeah, da- datasift.net. Datasift.net. But, but yeah. very interesting. If you type in um, to YouTube Data Sift and Scoble and check out the interview that, mm-hmm. that Scoble did with them, it, that's really interesting. Oh, cool. Yeah. 
have to check that out. Uh, that's really cool. So, all right, I got one. Go for it. Um, so I just discovered that I, I think because of Hacker News, um, I now have a hard time reading books. which is which is funny because um nicholas carr wrote a book recently called the shallows and it's called the shallows what the internet is doing to our brains basically saying that it's making it as difficult to focus on these sort of long contemplative tasks like reading a a long book i'm not sure i necessarily agree with that but what happened what happens with me is that you know i throughout the day as I've mentioned, I, I save up and then print out all of these articles I want to read at night. But they're all like, you know, I get like eight or ten really interesting articles that I can't wait to read. So whatever book I was reading sort of gets superseded <laughs> by these articles because I'm like, wow, all right, I'll, I'll, let me just read these articles first, right? Because I don't want to get piled up on articles and be like two days, three days behind. Um, and at first, I, <clears throat> I bought a book called How to Build a Dinosaur, Extinction Doesn't Have to Be Forever. And it's written by a guy named Jack Horner, who is one of the uh, top paleontologists in the world. And he he um, he served at he won a MacArthur Genius Fellowship. Do you know what yeah. that is? They win like yeah, like a million dollars and they work on anything they want. And and so he's this brilliant guy. And he was one of the technical advisors to Jurassic Park. <clears throat> and he actually served as uh, inspiration for one of the lead characters, Dr. Alan Grant, who was um, I guess one of the main characters in Jurassic Park. Anyway, this book is about how the ability to sort of um, bring these dinosaurs back essentially because not by using what they did Jurassic Park, which was like taking the DNA out of mosquitoes that were sort of trapped in amber and then filling in the holes with like um, DNA from amphibians and lizards and things. What they've discovered is that dinosaurs are essentially um, descendants, or chickens are essentially, birds are really, are descendants of um, dinosaurs. Right, and so the DNA that was in there that was made of dinosaurs is still in the DNA. It still can be found in the DNA of birds, and so you can go into chickens, and I guess it's something called um, development, evolutionary developmental biology, or something, where you, you know you can try and turn on and turn off certain um, certain features or certain developmental processes um, through early on in the developmental stages when, when it's in the embryo. And they're t- like, for instance, there's been some success in, in, in sort of having chickens where they can um, evolve with teeth. <laughs> so you can have a chicken evolve with teeth, turn off the feathers, turn on the tail, you know, turn off the growth inhibitor. And so basically ju- like, like Jurassic Park kind of genetic engineering. Yeah, but it, but it's like the DNA is already there. The DNA right. is in the chicken in the chickens, and he said he was using chickens because they're so plentiful, right? You have all these chickens, so you can do this stuff. And and the, I guess the chicken DNA and stuff is pretty well understood. So anyway, it's this really interesting book. It's not even that long, and I picked it up at the bookstore a couple weeks ago. I'm like, oh, I'm gonna totally read this, and then I've got like one chapter in. <laughs> I can't make any progress on it. It's the same thing with that, uh, you know, the uh, UFOs and national security state. I mean, I got like 80 pages in, and then I just can't seem to make any progress because I just. I only read articles. If you turn off the right genes in the chicken, you can grow a little Tyrannosaurus rex. That's the theory. You know, that, that most, if not all, that, that you could, yeah, that, you know, that the DNA is there and that you could, um, you could essentially, you know, you turn well, off certain... Like, I guess it's like, um, you know, human embryo goes through the, the different evolutionary stages, doesn't it, before it looks like anything. Like yeah, it, like it you'll like see a like a bird. tail yeah, and you'll yeah. see different things and then they get turned off and they go the other way. And, you know, it's called either evolutionary developmental biology or developmental evolutionary biology or something, EVDEV or DEV. I think it'll EVDEV. 
and uh, it's a really big deal now. And um, so it's a fascinating book. I recommend it to anyone. I've started started off really good, uh, and it's, it's really not that long of a book. So, but I still can't make any damn progress on it because <laughs> my addiction. Damn to- you, Hacker News. I know it's it's it's, 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 it's an addiction. It's a like crack cocaine. It's like oh, there's an interesting article. Oh, that's an interesting article. And then I just. Okay, so I've got a new segment for the show. We've we've got questions from Guyon. Now okay. I've got questions from Sebastian. Okay. Okay, and I think that I, <laughs> I don't know. No, whether, it's not questions from Guyon. It's letters from Guyon. Oh, letters from, okay, this is letters from this Sebastian. I'm not sure whether he he wanted me to ask you this. This was something that he just kind of said to me, but I th- okay. I'm, I'm bringing it to the show anyway. So talking about um, Jasonism and not invented here syndrome. Oh God, we can talk about this again. <laughs> just very quickly, very quickly, All right? right? Well, see, here's another thing. I just want to mention that. So you bring it up, and if you, and ultimately, if you take a shot at me, then I'm gonna have to defend it. So you could, you could take a ten seconds taking a shot at me, but then I have to take like five minutes explaining it. So you know, that's always the the risk. If you want to take a shot, then I'm gonna probably defend. But go ahead. Okay. Go, go ahead. Maybe take, I won't take say it, anything. I'll then. try and keep it brief. Go ahead. Okay. So for uh, anyone new, Jason just has a bit of a, a not invented here syndrome. So. <laughs> He'll build his own blog from raw HTML. He creates all his right, own all right, system. Go on, go on, go on. I know. So Everyone's Sebastian heard it. Everybody's already bored of it. <laughs> Sebastian said, how far do you take that? What else are you doing? Are you killing your own chicken in the backyard when you make chicken burgers? <laughs> no, but when I want to build my own dinosaur, I may have to. <laughs> like, do, you, do, you take that, do you take that whole uh, not invented here syndrome to, to your, your real life? Or is it just, is it just software stuff? Oh, I think it's just software. I can't think of anything else. Like, what would be an example of it? What would be something else that I would do? Killing your own cow to make a hamburger? No. <laughs> I try and uh, keep everything else in my life pretty minimal so that I can spend time doing what I want to do. I don't like to. Um, I don't like to make my life complicated in other ways. You know, it's like you know, a lot of people talk about how they want to own a house. And there's a part of me that says that, you know, thinks that that would be a, a good idea. You know, we have three kids and have a yard and be able to have, you know, like a barbecue and things like that. In other sense, it's like it just it sounds like headache, you know, because with the house is a lot of maintenance and upkeep. There's a lot of yard work. There's a lot of housework, a lot of just things that are broken to be fixed. And I, I don't want to do any of it, to be honest with you. I have no interest, zero interest in gardening, zero interest in like doing projects around the house. Because that's just time that I don't get to spend doing what I want to do, which is writing code, thinking, talking, reading, and uh, you know, working out or whatever, spending time with the kids. Okay, so one one other little point on that: you you, you don't want to use Apignite to create your own blog. And I was thinking that the not invented here syndrome. You're goes, saying that, or he said that? No, you're, I'm saying this, right? Because you you've mentioned that you you'd think it would be easier to just do the HTML, and I'm, I'm I was thinking that your not invented here syndrome goes so far that you won't even reuse work that you've made. Yeah, the whole point, the whole point that I'm doing the HTML blog is so that I could get it up in like 15 minutes and not right, have to right. think about it. But as soon yeah. as I run into two or three things that Apignite doesn't quite do yet, yeah. then that's going to give me yet another excuse not to write a blog post and to spend time working on Apignite, which is what I don't want to happen. So the whole point of it is just so that zero time gets spent in into the all of the the meta work of blogging and actually the only thing that's important, which is actually writing something and getting up on the damn web. That's the only thing that's important. Okay. Everything else is just bullshit. That was a lot less fun than I was expecting. Um, <laughs> clearly, <laughs> clearly I, this issue is really not, well, not the best I, issue to talk about. Anymore. I just, you know, we've talked about this stuff so much. I, I don't even like talking about it anymore. And it's, I'm sure most people are like, you know, they've kind of, have heard it, you know, and okay. I don't want to bore anybody. <laughs> so um, anyway, we got a lot of the good stuff to talk about. Let's uh, move on. 
on. Okay, so um, there was an article by I can't forget his name. The guy who did Bingo Card Creator. What's his name? Patrick. Um, Patrick Swayze. Yeah, Patrick Swayze McKenzie. I don't, I don't know. know. I know that he says the hardest adjust- he had a, a blog post called the hardest adjustment to self-employment. It is talking about really for him, it was structuring his day, um, you know, because, you know, when you're working at a company, I mean, you got to go in at a certain time, you have to be there a certain number of hours, you have deadlines, you have people waiting for something, your boss that will, you know, we particularly will ride you if, if something doesn't get in on time. Yeah. But when, as soon as you start working for yourself, you start working at home, you don't have that kind of structure. And, you know, one thing I've done, I've been working at home now for over 10 years, since April of 99, when I first started working at home, and I have worked in an office since. And I know very first week or two, it took me a little bit of adjustment because I started thinking, oh, you know, I'm, I'm just going to start working right away and then I'll, I'll take a shower later. That was a big mistake. <laughs> right, right. Like, you know, because you need, then you kind of feel kind of sleepy, right? You're just like, oh, I'm going to go lie down and take a nap. And then you, then you feel like a complete lazy ass. You feel like, you know, those days when you're like sick and mm-hmm. you're like around your pajamas like four in the afternoon and you feel like hell and you're just like, and you're, you might even still be sick the next day, but you're like, screw it. I'm going to take a shower and get dressed because I just don't want to be lying around in my pajamas on the couch at four in the afternoon watching bad TV. And... Um, so one, I, one thing I, I figured out right away is that I have to get up, take a shower, eat breakfast, take a shower, get dressed. Like I'm literally put on my shoes, literally like I'm going out the door. I mean, I don't wear a suit or anything, but you know, I'm, I'm fully dressed. I don't even wear a lot. I don't even wear like workout clothes. You know, I wear like, you know, casual, but normal clothes. And, and I really, and I just sit and I start working and, and it even, and, and it got better and better, better at it over the years where I would re, I was re, really became resistant to sort of interruptions or to doing things. Someone call me up and say, Hey, you want to do X? I'm like, no, I, I, I can't do that. Like, I think you would call me once like, Oh, I'm going to the Apple store. You want to meet me? I'm like, no, <laughs> can't yeah. to the Apple store. Right. It's not that I didn't want to, it's just that that's not, you know, part of the, that's not part of the plan. And, um, I, I, one thing I will say about it, and then I'd like to hear your your reaction, is that, um, you know, when I, up until recently I had one big contract where I would work and I would work the first four hours of my day on it, no matter what, and that provided a really nice structure because I was really on the phone with my client and you know, on and off throughout the morning for the first four hours, but then come one o'clock I was done. And then I would work on App Ignite, and then in the afternoon I might work a little on App Ignite, or I might work on one of my other, or one or two of my other consulting projects. But since that project is has finished, um, I'm a little less structured and I'm a little less productive because I'm hop, I'm working on App Ignite, you know, right out of the gate, which I probably shouldn't do. I should start doing consulting work, and uh, you know, I think structure is a huge deal. And I'd be curious, what's your thought on that? I think the secret is is to. Order your tasks uh, by the amount of pain they give you. So the, mm-hmm. do the hardest stuff first, and then the second hardest stuff second, the third hardest stuff third. And then that way you can get through your day. Because, I mean, I'm in the same scenario as you, right, where I work from home. And the only way I can get through a full working day is if I do it that way around. Yeah, because if you start with the fun stuff, you just hard time, you have a hard time stopping. Yeah, right? you just you, stick you with the fun stuff. You, 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 you come up with a million rationalizations to like, well, I'm just, I really got the tiger by the tail. You know, I really just want to finish this one thing. And instead of taking 15 minutes, it takes you two more hours. You're like, oh, well, you know, that's over. But then you end up feeling like crap the rest of the day. You feel really guilty. Yeah. 
right? You're like, oh man, you know, I'm behind in hours, and now I, now I got to try and figure out how to come and catch up, and it's no good. And you know, this leads into another um, uh, another um, article I wanted to bring up, which was called Six Keys to Being Excellent at Anything." That's so funny. I've just got that open in my browser. It was what I was going to bring up next. Yeah, uh, book. He wrote, the guy wrote a book. I named Tony Schwartz, and wrote a book called "The Way We're Working Isn't Working." Yeah. And uh, well, you go through it. You go through the points. No, no, you, you go. You go. Okay. So the first point is pursue what you love, which I think uh, we've talked about ad infinitum here on yep. the podcast is that, you know, when you love something, you're passionate for it, it just feels like it's not even work. And it, uh, that's what allows you to, su- to sustain yourself through periods of frustration or boredom or get over all the hard parts. Because if you don't really love it, it you know, uh, after a certain amount of difficulty, uh, you'll just throw in the towel and be like, ah, screw it. <laughs> right. So, um, Two is uh, do the hardest work first. Which is which, exactly what we were just talking about, and which yeah. is one of the reasons why I thought the article was obviously so on the, on the nail. Yeah, and the, and one thing he says is most great performers take on the difficult work of practice in the mornings before they do anything else. And just what you said, which is something I, I've you know, trying to make myself do, which is like, I feel like I'm earning points. Like I got to earn, I, like, I feel like for, for two hours of consulting work, I earn an hour to work on Epic Night. Right, earning so it's like, points is an interesting concept. Like, yes. use, use game theory in your um, in what you do. Yeah, I was kind of thinking about that. I think there's an app that's sort of similar called Epic Win. I just read about. I think I read about in that article that um, the bingo card creator uh, Patrick McKenzie or whatever who wrote. Mm-hmm. He, he was talking about using Epic Win. That you get points for it. you. You you come up with a list of tasks and you give yourself points, like almost like it's like a video game. Oh and yeah, I, was, yeah. I saw I saw that. Yeah. And, but even before I read, read that, I was sort of, I, I hadn't, I wasn't thinking in terms of points so much as I would just say, okay, you know, if I want to do two hours of Epic Night work today, I have to do at least four of consulting, you know, and, and, you, and you don't get to spend any time, you know, I don't, I don't get to spend any time on Epic Night or any side project until I've, I've spent at least two times that doing paid consulting work. So it's another way. So it's, it's a way to say, okay, well, you know, you could say I want to work four hours on consulting and then it, I'd go grab lunch and then I can spend the afternoon doing some app night work. But another way of doing it is say I'm going to work two hours on, on, the, um, on consulting work and then I can work an hour on app night and then take a break and then move back to the consulting work. I mean, that might work too. I'm You've kind of got to be lucky enough to have uh, enough consulting work to do that though. Well, okay. if you don't have enough consulting work to do that, then you might be willing right. to... Go find some more consulting work. <laughs> <laughs> well, work no, because a lot of a lot of people wouldn't go find more consulting work. They just kind of take the minimum amount of consulting work to keep them alive and work on their pet projects. Well, that's when I've your wife, th- that's when that your wife comes walking in the door and you get the evil eye. What are you doing? <laughs> no, I've I've definitely gone through that phase like a couple of years ago. Sure. Yeah, you have to. Well, that's one thing. Is like when you're in a relationship. Um, you know, a lot of times, you know, the wife will be. They're, they're kind of very feet on the ground, you know, because they're not in your mental world of like, oh, this is neat and fun. They're more bottom line. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. We're getting done. You know, and I know Sandy doesn't. She's very supportive of the entrepreneurial stuff that I do, but she's also like, you know, we got to pay bills, right? I mean, you know, you you know, we got kids and stuff i mean you can't screw around this is not this is not game time so and uh you know i'm pretty good about that for the most part there are there have been you know weeks or months of my life where i've been less good at it but you know you you have to have if you yourself aren't going to you know keep things in line they will you know um so number three is practice intensely yeah and uh the couple 
sub points were, you know, without interruption, you want to do it without interruption for short periods, less than, no more than 90 minutes. Because apparently 90 minutes is about the most that you can really focus on one thing intensely. Um, and then take, take breaks. And that, um, I guess the evidence is, the scientific evidence is uh, equally strong that great performers practice no more than four and a half hours a day. Hmm. So, you know, when you think of somebody's like a, you know, world-class like violinist or something or, or whatever, that they don't spend 12 hours a day. In fact, that may be detrimental because it um, burns you out, you know. And uh, I remember there's a, uh, one of the world's great mathematicians was um, a, a guy named Hardy who was um, back, he was a, you know, a, a big mathematician back in the early 1900s. Um, and people might have heard of Ramanujan, who was this great Indian mathematician. And he worked with, Hardy worked with him. Uh, Hardy sort of discovered him. And he wrote a, Hardy wrote a, uh, or it's G.H. Harding, I think it was. Um, or G.H. Hardy. And he wrote a book called An Apology, A Mathematician's Apology. And it was basically talking about how, you know, a lot of math, it gets so advanced or so abstract, it may really not have a point or may not be relevant to today, but it's just sort of the pursuit of knowledge, the pursuit of understanding, which is really all that's relevant. Anyway, one thing he used to say, he would talk about his workday, he would work from, I think it was 8 to 12 every morning, and that was it. Like, he would sit down and shut the door for four hours and just work, and then he would go have lunch, and he'd go and watch cricket and, you know, go to tea time or whatever. <laughs> Yeah. I always thought that was kind of funny. But I noticed for myself that there's only so many hours that I can code really productively in a given day uh, on a regular basis. I mean, sometimes you can have one really big day, but you can't do it day after day. And there's usually that four, four to six hours is really the point. After that, I don't think I get as much done. Um, I mean, there might be stuff you know, other than coding, like talking on the phone to you know clients or customers or doing other things. But this whole idea of coding for 12 hours a day just doesn't seem to, I don't know, be that realistic as, as much as there's sort of mythology around Silicon Valley that, oh, you just, you know, work all nighters and do all this stuff. But uh, I thought that was interesting. Yeah. So I don't know. I mean, what do you think? I mean, how, how, how are you working in terms of like, I, that, that doesn't, that doesn't ring true for me. I mean, I definitely go through periods of coding for 12 hours. Uh, quite regularly. <laughs> well, I mean, like day after day after day, or you have like one big day. I, I mean, I can I, when when I'm really into a, a project, I will do it day after day. Yeah, I will just you go. I'll just hours. go nuts for it, and then I'll I kind of burn out after a week, and I'll need to sleep for a day. Right, right. Yeah. I mean, I guess I do that kind of, but I've noticed that if I just keep a consistent pace, it's kind of like a marathon. You know, you can't sprint a few blocks without taking a hit on the overall time in the marathon. You just need. Whatever you can maintain week in and week out is usually the best um, best pace for you, and, and and it's just consistency. And and you know because usually what happens is people burn themselves out and they don't get back to it. Yeah. And I th I think there's been a lot. Of, there's definitely some studies that show that you know that, that companies that really burn their employees out and push them really hard, they end up paying more in the long run for it. Um, you know, I started this thing. You're at this thing called it's like it's called I think the Pomodoro technique. Pomodoro technique. I think Pomodoro, Pomodoro, or Dora, I'm not sure you pronounce it. Is it means tomato in Italian. Yeah. And some guy posted a link up on the on Hacker News like, "Hey, check out my new startup." But essentially it was just like a big stopwatch that would just run, you know, in JavaScript. And you would say start and stop it. So it would run for and so the Pomodoro technique is you do 25 minutes of work, then you take a 5-minute break and you do that 3 times and then you take like a 15-minute break. 
and that's supposed to be fairly optimal for most people, which is sort of close to this. And I tried it, except the problem with the Pomodoro technique is it would go past 25 minutes and I didn't even realize it. And yeah. I was like almost done on my break. And I'm like, you know, there needs to be like, need, the whole page needs to flash like red or something, or it needs to have like a sound or something like that. But I thought it worked. The idea was good. It just needed to work a little better. Right. So I thought that might be useful. Nice. But do you work in spurts and then take break? Or do oh, you- that's why it's called a Pomodoro, because it, it's, it's based on those cooking timers. Is that what that is? Yeah. Like, so okay. you know those cooking timers you can buy in cook shops. There's the tomato that you twist around 25 minutes. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, that's what it was. I didn't really understand what that was. What what that? I didn't really understand the reference. So right. I don't know yeah. Okay. Um, so the next number four is seek expert feedback in but intermittent not too often. doses. Yeah, in intermittent doses, the simpler and more precise the feedback, the more equipped you are to make adjustments. Um, and it says too much feedback too continuously creates cognitive overload, anxiety, and interferes with learning. And I think that I've noticed that's true. You know, once again, to use a reference to my soccer team, that you know, we'd come, to, we'd get to halftime. Yeah. And a lot of times you have coaches like you know you, you would sort of see coaches. A lot of times you see this on the in, in professional sports teams. Occasionally they'll have like a camera that you know had had gone into the into the locker room and and, and films that the coach talking to the team. They'll just college and pro teams and stuff, and they usually don't show these until weeks afterwards, but. They'll, they'll show the coaches going on and on and on. We got to do this. We got to do that. But that's not going to work. And I've noticed that when I would, you know, come up with five or ten things that everybody needs to be doing, nobody did anything. It was stupid. I mean, it was just like to hear. I mean, it, it got you. You know, you could feel good about yourself. Like, oh, I'm up on a soapbox and I'm yelling at the guys. I'm telling people how. But it doesn't. It's not achieving anything. So I would usually come up with like one or two things. Or or what I would do is I would just come up with one or two really kind of just general things, vague things, and then I would go to individuals and I'd say, hey, Mark, here's what I need you to do. I need you to get, I need you to mark number 10 out of the game, okay? Don't let number 10 touch the ball because he's the pivot point for the whole team. He's a guy. That's all I need you to do. Just don't deny him the ball. And that was actionable, simple information that he could use that he could use and he knew exactly what he needed to do and he could focus in on it and if there were you know and maybe i'd go to like half a dozen guys and if there was one key thing i needed to do i would be very explicit and i just say can you do that you know do this one thing for me and we're going to be gold we're going to be awesome if you shut this guy down or if you could do this but if you just start yelling talking blah 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 and everybody's like i don't i don't you know then everybody just walks back on the field and nobody knows what the hell they're doing right yeah so, so seek expert feedback but not too much yeah, take regular renewal breaks um, because you know it provides an opportunity to rejuvenate, um, but it also to metabolize and embed learning. And uh, it also, it's interesting. It says during rest, um, the right hemisphere becomes of your brain becomes more dominant, which can lead to creative breakthroughs. So, what do they mean by renewal breaks? Well, I, I think it just means that. Uh, you know, you you need to take breaks from things. You need to kind of like take mini vacations from a project. Um, so it doesn't, a, doesn't mean like have a bath or something. <laughs> no, <laughs> it I, means I, like I, go to Vegas or something like that. Yeah, well, just like it's kind of like you have it on the micro scale, which is like every twenty five minutes, take a five minute break, or no, or work, or work no more than ninety minutes and take a take a break, whatever it is. Yeah. But it's the longer breaks. Just take a vacation. Take a weekend off. Take a three day weekend. Take a week vacation. Renew yourself. You know, and come back. And you come up with fresh eyes, new enthusiasm, and uh, then you can just you know because then you have new ideas, bring a new perspective on things. I know that whenever I've traveled, um, whenever I get out of my environment, I all of a sudden I just have a whole new perspective on things. I feel completely um, inspired. 
Um, and I, I think that's important. I don't do it nearly enough, so I need to do it more. I just, it's hard to do it with kids, but I, I've just noticed that when I do, it really helps. Um, so the, the, the next one is ritualized practices. Ritualized practice, right. Oh, yeah, ritualized practice, right. And so, will and discipline are widely overrated, and none of us have very much of it as one truth. <laughs> so it's just the best way to ensure you're, you'll take on difficult tasks is to ritualize um, them uh, specifically. And uh, You do this very well. So this is the, you're talking about your four hours a day. Basically, make sure you do the same thing every day at the same time, and everyone knows that that's your ritual. Yeah, I think I think it I think it I think when you get in a routine you're more productive generally. Routines are inherently probably more boring in a sense. Like, mm-hmm. you know, weeks can go by and you're like, "Well, you know, and people ask, "So what's been going on?" It's like, "I don't know, man, just same thing, right? I do the same thing every day." But that's you're being productive. So you kind of need to split it up. It's like on the weekends or whatever, it's good to be sort of spontaneous and do all these unexpected things and rejuvenate yourself. But then when you're on when you're being productive, it's like, you know, I work out, I go to the gym, I do this with the kids. You know, you you're productive. You're making progress on things yeah I it's think. quite like it's a bit like the practice of zen which is um okay i don't know huge amounts about zen but uh i do know that zen is a lot about ritual and kind of raking your zen garden and feeling the peace <laughs> i see <laughs> and sticking yeah. to your ritual and then um well i think it's like that whole thing about structuring your day it's like just you create a framework and you create a structure it allows you not to have to worry about certain things and you can just think about these other things that you want to think about it kind of removes it kind of simplifies you the, your further framework for your day for your mind, I think. If right. you go with aid, you have no plan and no idea. I think you might spend a lot of time at the meta level, like, what should I be doing? Am I doing the right thing? Or, you know, it's if you're like, no, this is what I do from, you know, nine to one, I write code for a client. That's what I'm doing. Get it done. Um, I think that's probably kind of, I think there's some, uh, I, I works for me. And I notice also, too, it's like, it's really hard. I think it's hard to change yourself, but. So what I try and do is I try and set up my context, my environment, so it's optimal for me doing the right thing for myself. <laughs> so, for instance, a good example is like if you, if, you're like, if you have good intentions, like I want to go to the gym and get in shape, but yet you don't have a gym within 10 miles, it's going to be really hard to do it on a regular basis. But if you find a gym you really like that's really close by and convenient to get to, you really, you're stacking the deck in your favor that you're actually going to go. Yeah. Right? And, you know, it's the kind of thing where I, I, noticed, I noticed this, too, when I first started working after college, that if I went home after work before going to the gym, I did, I, it was a good chance I wasn't even going to go to the gym. <laughs> it's like I had to take my bag of, 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 you know, workout clothes and everything and go straight to the gym and then go home. And it's just, you know, by myself, like I, if I go home, I'm not going to go to the damn gym. So the best thing to do is just set up your, you know, ritualize practice and set things up so they're optimal for you doing the right thing so you don't depend on willpower you're not sort of sapping your willpower just to do these regular things that you need to be doing so all right so i kind of stole that one from you so why don't you do one okay um so i got one well actually it's kind of it's it's going a little bit deeper into point number three of eight things i wish i knew before starting a business which is people will let you down but it was another blog that i saw which is basically uh learn to get burned and what they're talking about is they're talking about the different kind of issues that can burn you, okay. right? And essentially, um, <laughs> it's pretty much the same kind of advice that we already have, but they f- they're focusing on the, the main things that are going to burn you in a startup culture. So, for example, the useless co-founder. 
<laughs> right. And and the useless co-founder is essentially the band bass player, like that concept. Right. It's right. going to be like a, you know a friend, smart, fun, caring, prompt. They have all sorts of good qualities, and it seems like all of the elements of a great co-founder are there. But when it's time to actually focus and execute, they start to flake out. Right. And that is, you know, I've, I've seen that happen a lot, a lot in my experience. Have you well, seen that? Yeah, I'm trying to think of Pacific instances. I have seen it, and, and I'm trying to think of specific specific examples. I've been pretty lucky with some of the people I've teamed up with. Um, I've been more lucky than I've been unlucky. Um, but I think it does come down to luck because it's sort of specific. Like people can be smart and they can be productive, but they may not be smart productive in the, in the context that you need them to be. Right. Um, you know, for whatever reason, they just don't put. Like maybe the uncertainty of the situation. You remember me talking about cause. And I said, you know, we're trying to do this trading startup, this high yeah. trading startup. And he, you know, he's really smart. He he didn't have a job. He was so he, but he was he had enough, you know, sort of independent wealth that he didn't have to worry about it. That he could do this thing with me. And he was out here in California and you know, living down the street. And but for the reason, he just the uncertainty of it, the fact that we weren't backed by a large institution or anything. He just it brought too much uncertainty into the equation for him to really stay committed and focused. You know, it's and weird, it's just, but it's like, how do you? how do you know that that's going to happen? Like, and how long do you give it before you try and cut the thread? Well, I guess based on what we talked about earlier, is probably you, you don't give it too much time because <laughs> things don't change. Things are, it's like, it's like things tend to show their colors pretty early on. It's like, it's like when you're dating, you know, and you might be going out with a girl and it's like, she'll show you, she'll show you the red flags. Even if she's trying to hide them pretty quickly. And it's just your decision at that point whether you're going to recognize them. And I was joking with Matt Krager because he was, you know, dating some new girl, and he was we were joking about it a little bit. And and uh, I was like, you know, if they're hot enough, <laughs> you're just gonna ignore those red flags. But then six months in, when you're in misery, you're like, oh man, I saw everything in that first date, and I just ignored it, right? <laughs> Yeah. It's like, you know, you were just irrational about it because you were just blinded, you know, by her beauty or whatever. And you just, you know, so what you have to do, though, is as best you can try and be honest with yourself about what the potential shortcomings are um, of whoever you're getting involved with. And if they start to, you know, sh- you know, show up right away, what you think might go wrong, then probably act quickly. Yeah. You know, don't don't get sucked into things. It's, it's the same thing with relationships. I see people get caught in many uh, or multiple year relationships, and they just take forever getting out of them. They want to um, leave. They want to leave, but they can't. I, I have <laughs> a lot of friends have been in this situation, and then it's years. It takes them years to get out of these relationships. You're like, what are you doing? Just get out. Start over. That's, you know what's silly about that? It hurts the partner as well as themselves because yeah. basically it's killing time for both people. Yep. You know? Yeah, it does. And I think it's, it's usually better to make cut things, cut things fast and hard, not to let things drag on. You know, it's, it's, it's usually better that way. Um, probably the same with, you know, co-founders or partners or, 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 you know, relationships or whatever. It's just if things aren't working out, you know, if you can fix it, try and fix it. If you can't, don't give it a lot of time. And just if it's just, you know, if it's the trade ain't working, you know, close out. <laughs> <laughs> take a loss and move on. Here's something that, interesting that they... Oh, one, th- one thing I want to say, and I'm going to make one more analogy to trading up because I think it's great, is they say that, because it's, 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 it's such an abstract concept, but it totally applies to everything, uh, everything else, is that... It's the, a fractal. Yeah, well, it is. Well, it's just that trading is, is, is a very pure, simple act, and it psychologically is just so similar to everything else, but it's easier to understand because this framework doesn't involve a whole lot of other things, other elements. It's so just a simple model. So it's like... 
they say like amateur traders will take one big loss and they'll like put on a trade and it starts losing <clears throat> and they'll go oh now it's really cheap so I'm gonna I'm gonna double down I'm gonna put in more money and then it and then it keeps losing more like oh now it's really cheap right yeah <laughs> they've, since they've obviously already been taking a loss they put on more and then they go oh it's and then they just kind of then it falls back to hope like oh gee I hope this comes back if this hope comes back I'm gonna make a ton of money and it keeps going down and going down and then it, <laughs> they, they blow out <laughs> right <laughs> they everything so. Amateurs tend to lose money that way. They tend to blow, blow out that way. Where professionals die, if they have a bad day, it's like death by a thousand cuts. Like they keep putting on little trades and then it takes, and they take a loss on it real quick and they take another little loss. You know? And it happens on occasion. But what professionals learn how to do is they take your losses quickly. Right. Just, you just get out. Okay, I was wrong. I'm out. And I think the same thing applies to like everything else. It's like when things start going south, you know, evaluate and say, have the circumstances or the variables or something's changed from what I thought they were when I initiated this sort of situation? If they haven't, maybe give it a little more time. If they, ha- if they have and it's not, it doesn't have, have the same, um, uh, it, it isn't as appealing as it was, then get out. You just you can always start again. Yeah, but that's kind of dangerous advice in the sense of if, you, if you're changing around and pivoting real quick, like once every week, and swapping different business partners and moving down all sorts of different avenues, like some weird kind of acrobatic artist, then, mm-hmm. you, you, then you will kind of get a reputation of having no staying power and you won't be focused on any one thing. I mean, one of the, one of the really big important things is to actually see something through. Yeah, well, it's, a, it's the point I brought up a couple weeks ago. We talked to Peter Cooper, which is the type one and type two startup errors. Right. And I can't yeah. remember which one is which, type one being that there's, there's, there's not enough evidence there's evidence to support rejecting the hypothesis, but you okay. don't reject yeah. it and vice versa. And being a, and, a, and it's like, yeah, you, you're going to fail one way or the other. I think as, as humans, we tend to, because of sunk cost fallacy, because we avoid confrontation, because we don't like we'll to admit stick there longer than wrong. we should be. Yeah. We stick in relationships. We just stick in trades. We stick in um, purchases. We stick in companies. We stick in our own ideas way longer than we should. I think it's rare that you have people just like, you know, jumping the gun and, and quitting all the time. Now, I'm sure there are people and there are situations where that might be more common, but I think you have to, I think that's something that you need to put in your mind as something to constantly consider. Am, uh, is this something that I should cut? Should I cut my losses now? Isn't that the big risk about Apignite? Because just even getting it off the ground takes two years. So before you get a chance to evaluate whether it's any good or not, you've, you've kind of sunk two years of time. It is. I mean, it's a, you know, and I've, I've mentioned too, I was like, you know, so I'm sort of going against the, the, um, the low risk minimum viable product, which is get something out in, in a few months, you know, part of it's because I can only work on it uh, for a limited amount of time. But that's what I said, you know, I said before, is that it's sort of like, I'm going for something that I really want to work on. I think is really cool. That is my five-year plan. And, you know, I guess if I was purely optimizing for doing something that I thought might just make some money as opposed to something that I love that I think is a really interesting problem, then I would do something a little different. But, you know, I, I know I'm, I'm probably it's probably not the optimal thing to be doing, but, you know, it's what I want to work on. And it's something that I think is going to work. Of course, it's, you know, as I said, too, it's, it's taking longer than I thought it was going to take. You know, that's that's much is, is for sure. But um, I, it's not, not only it's two years to get off the ground, but, you know, it's, it's definitely taken longer than I thought. So um, maybe just moving, switching topics a little bit, um, talking about uh, some of the work that I've been doing with Sebastian. Yeah. And um, one of the things that we've got going on is 
the the way that Swarm builds the board, it basically inserts a div for every square onto the onto the into the HTML, right? Okay. And um, so there's like ninety divs there for the board, and then when you move the graphics over it, uh, it's kind of it it can be let's say not it's not exactly slow, but it's not as fast as a purely native app on the iPad. So right. we started to think about the idea of pre-rendering the boards because we've got different board types. Mm-hmm. And uh, Sebastian did a little bit of research into Canvas and, and, and that. So um, I'd say within a night, he built this little thing that essentially you can give it the coordinates and it will create... the. It just takes one PNG and then it creates the whole board in Canvas. And Canvas has this thing that you can instantly export it as a PNG. Okay. But it sports it as text, so it's like it. it uh, it's hard to describe. It's like on on the um, in the query. What do you call that thing? The address bar. <laughs> in the address right. bar, uh-huh. it's like image colon slash slash, and then a whole, uh-huh. and then basically the encoded PNG. Right. It's very very cool. Uh, like I think that Canvas and that that new way of doing things is going to be excellent. And Canvas has some great great little features. Like um, every time you load a sprite into it, it's on its own layer. Right, you know, so you can start. Oh, go on. I'm sorry. So, so you can kind of move things around uh, on, on its own layer. So it's it's just Canvas is going to be a, a really great technology to use when the browsers can support it. But for now, it's very useful for us because what we can do is we can create our own board builder, you know, and it's going to and we can kind of do drag and drop and just create the boards, right? And, th- and then it will basically output them as a composite ping, and uh, that that's real fast for us. That's cool. Now, why aren't you doing it as a native iPhone app? Because t- with Titanium, you could you could do that. You could, they have a graphics library. You could write native. I mean, what's the point of doing it with in WebKit anyway? Because we want to release it directly on the web. We want to release it on the desktop. So the, the, the Titanium um, API doesn't translate to the desktop as far as I'm aware. Um, it's just right. for mobile, right? I mean, you could you could sort of create a higher level thing, and then it just says has a render. You have like you could have like a native, um, you know, titanium renderer, and you could have like an HTML, you know, JavaScript renderer that draws it a little differently depending on what you know what it is, you know. So that I mean, you just you, know, you could compile the two two separate libraries. But I guess you're just trying to reduce your workload, so you don't have to you don't have a separate. No, you know, that's not a bad idea. That's not a bad idea at all. So basically. We could we could completely abstract the device. Um, what's yeah. the word? The device API stuff, mm-hmm. and so that could that could be published. This, the same like top level abstraction layer could be published to Titanium or published to the web or whatever. Yeah, render board, render hexagon, render piece. You know, when you have like a board, it's board render. You have like a Titanium renderer. You tra- you know you have a canvas renderer. You have a div renderer for where canvas isn't supported. You know, and they may not be that different. It may turn out that the actual the code is actually not too much differently. It might be fairly easy to abstract, and that way it'll be sort of optimal for the environment that's written. See, written it's to. funny. That's that's kind of a good thing about you being a, a not invented here, because you you do kind of think outside the box in that way. And that's, I mean, maybe that's inside the box. I don't know. But anyway, that's very good advice that you've just given. I'm going to bring yeah. that back to Sebastian. Yeah, I mean, it's it's cool. I mean, I can see why. You're, I mean, look, I mean, you got to get something up, so you just get something up. But as you start to sort of like um, optimize a little bit, like we want this to be a little faster on this device, you know, right native, you know, well, you know, it's not. It's not like the Titanium library is hard. It's JavaScript, <laughs> and they already abstract away the whole the Xcode, um, uh, you know. Uh, but you do, you still text. do have to write it twice. I mean, why bother writing twice when it all works the other way? Uh, just so it would be, you know, it'd probably even be significantly faster. I would guess. I would think. 
Um, but you have to check it out and see. I mean, yeah. if, if I would imagine that compiled native, uh, you know, machine code is just going to be blisteringly fast, as fast as you would want it to be on the iPhone and iPad. And Canvas will probably be pretty damn fast. It may not be as fast. But maybe there's no difference. Maybe the Canvas render will be like 90% as fast and way, way f- plenty fast enough that no one would ever notice a difference. Oh, it's not like- oh we're not going to use Canvas on the actual game. Like, it's just to create pre-rendered boards. So it's a tool that we're using for us. I see. Because, I mean, if, if because what, one idea we have is going to be to put Swarm on Facebook, right? Yeah. And so if... If that goes on Facebook, like, and fifty percent of the people can't use Canvas, that's that's no good to us. Yeah, well, you know, but like I said, if you have a if you have a render for both, then you just do a browser check. If it, you just browser, if you know Canvas element, you know, it's not equal null or is available, then you know, if it's available, then right, render it this way. Otherwise, render it the other way. You know, just do a switch, and that way it'll be as optimal for the environment. But I was, you know, it's funny. Yesterday, I was playing uh, checkers with Colby. Um, Colby's my five-year-old son. To any new listeners, and we were playing. We were. I was trying to. He, I, we've been teaching him checkers and chess, and trying to learn backgammon. I don't even know how to play backgammon, so we were trying. We were watching some videos on YouTube a couple weeks ago, <laughs> and uh, I'll teach you backgammon. You do? Oh, okay, yeah, really cool. And uh, so we were. I, I just did a search on Google for you know. Um, checkers and there was like a little online game and i was like man if there was a swarm online if i could just go to swarm sg and play like against a computer on the web i was like i would you know especially in these simple games i would oh teach- you're going to be able to do that yeah that's not going to we'll have I, that up within a month i'm excited for that because i would love to teach Kobe Kobe the youngest swarm player ever <laughs> <laughs> five years old playing swarm that'll be cool and then we'll pit him against cars <laughs> <laughs> So, uh, yeah, well, that's really cool. Um, you know, what's your, when are you releasing the next version? Well, the next, the next version, uh, 1.1, has been released to Apple. Um, it's been on there for six days, uh, waiting for them to kind of review it. And they've just this morning switched it to um, in-review status. Right. So hopefully that, that can go out. I can't wait for that to go out and for the thousand people who've purchased it to get that update. Yeah, that's awesome. And you got to get a. You need to get uh, an email list going with those current users. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I don't know? know how to get their emails now, though. Well, what you need to do is have a pop up that comes up when they install a new version per email, and they'll be informed of new updates. You know, of some of the roadmaps and things you guys are doing. Yeah, whatever. So, um, yeah, I'm excited. So we got we only got we don't have that much time left, but I have a f- bunch of topics I want to bring up real quickly. So let's kind of go. Blast through, you know, blast through this stuff. Shoot, this is this is one okay. of the the most kind of switchy podcasts we've done so far. I know. Well, I guess we'll see how people like it or not. <laughs> so um, I was listening to an interesting um, – well, first thing I want to mention is I found a really great new podcast called This Developer's Life by a guy named Bob Connery. So if you go to thisdeveloperslife.com, and what he essentially did is he sort of did an, almost an exact format ripoff of This American Life, which is a uh, NPR show, which is fantastic. If you have not listened to that show, it's just amazing. What This American Life is is – They'll just pick like a theme, you know, like the million dollar idea or my biggest regret or I, I don't know, just some kind of random theme. And they'll have three stories that they'll tell over this hour long show, radio show. Um, and they'll have like, you know, they'll go and they'll interview the person and go through their life and talking about the stuff. And these, these are great stories. And, and Ira Glass, who's sort of the host, will go through and he'll kind of introduce the story and, in this, and set, up, set it up a little bit. And they'll have these kind of inter, this music sort of in, um, intros and outros. And it's just really great. And um, so it's one of my favorite podcasts. 
And so this guy, uh, Rob Connery, he did this developer's life, and he interviewed, I guess he was one of the stories. It was sort of a, a first-person narrative. And then he had, did one with Sarah Chips, I think we've talked to. We, we actually need to bring her on the show. Oh, yeah. And I can't remember who the other one was, I, the other guy's name. And they interviewed him about, like, uh, I think it was the first episode was Thoughts on Getting Fired. And uh, it was really great, you know. And it was funny because in the comments, I, I told him I thought he did a great job. And there were a few people like, oh, I don't like the music. I had a hard time listening with the music. I'm like, dude, <laughs> are you kidding me? I'm like, this is great. I mean, he probably put a ton of effort into it. The music was actually really good. And so I was trying to tell him to make sure he keeps up because he's only did one episode. But, you know, it's, uh, it's worth a listen, this developerslife.com. Nice. So I just want to throw that out there. Um, plus, I think we need to help each other out. All these little startup fledgling podcasts. Spread the love a little bit. That's very magnanimous of you. Yeah. Do you think they're going to mention us? Oh, I don't, you know, who knows? I mean, he probably has like 20 listeners at this point or 50 <laughs> listeners. It might not matter. But uh, I mean, you know, not that we're big, but we're a lot bigger than he is. Uh, yeah. We'll just help him out. And because uh, I, I liked it, I'd like to listen to it some more. So it's like my own selfish reasons. I hope he continues because it was good. So, um, I, uh, can I quickly bring one up? All right. So on the, on the, the Texting 63 last show, Travis Kalanick. So we got a lot of um, people saying that that was the best interview that they've heard so far. Right. But what's interesting is, and this is something I always thought with when I used to be in the music business, is that if pe- if you get a product or a thing <clears throat> that people absolutely love or they absolutely hate, then you know you're onto a kind of winner. Mm-hmm. And as well as uh, lots of people saying they love it, there's one person who really didn't love it. Like they basically hated it. Right. And I think that's kind of an interesting thing, but it, it's it kind of, shows you how i don't know just our, our listenership is just wide and varied and just well we you can know, never tell what's gonna what's gonna come up we're all different enough that we're not all gonna like the same stuff and and that's why it was funny i think steve yegi who people may have be familiar with him he's a he works at uh, google and he's he's had a pretty fo- popular blog he's a really he's actually a pretty funny writer and uh first i first came across him he was on the stack overflow podcast as a sort of a guest host or something with uh jeff and uh jeff and joel um and uh so it's funny he wrote this blog article i was talking about how you know even the things that are the most voted up most liked are only like at most liked by 66 percent of the people right <laughs> so even if you're a huge winner it's you're only 60 percent 66 percent liked so i mean that might be a little understated maybe it's 70 or 80 percent at the very top but you know ne- it's like getting above that is really rare so you're right even if a lot of people like this was just awesome there's going to be some people with like ah sucked you know it's the same thing it was like uh, one of our biggest shows that people liked was the ufo uh show with the um that ufo's national security state our interview with richard dolan there was a bunch of people who thought like that was just awesome it was the best interviews ever and there are people like eh you know, I like your show, but it's easy on the UFO stuff, right? <laughs> <laughs> You're like, really? I mean, so it's just, you know, that's the thing. But when we do two shows a week, I mean, you know, we have enough shows that if there's occasionally one that's on a topic someone's interested in, they can just kind of skip it. Not a big deal. But I think that's true. I saw that this morning, too, and I kind of laughed. I was like, yeah, it was interesting because he, like he says, I struggled to get through the show um, because of the delivery of the guest. But what's interesting to me, for me as a listener to that show, I was like, Oh, it's it's kind of like watching a train crash. Like you have to watch it. Like for me, I, it wasn't a struggle to watch. It was just. I don't like, think he. I don't think he liked um, Travis's personality. <laughs> I think he thought Travis was too. Um, you know, too. Uh, I don't know. Too much of an aggressive hustler kind of guy. Yeah, I think that. I think maybe that's the way to put. It. I kind of trying to find the words. I'm not sure exactly why, but I can tell. I mean, you know, Travis is a big personality. Yeah. 
right? He's not, he's got a lot of confidence and he's, you know, he talks kind of a big game and, you know, I find him to be really entertaining guy. I find him really fun. He's a really cool guy. He's a friend of mine. I like him, but I can understand that, right? I mean, if you're not a mild personality, there are going to be some percentage of people who are not going to like you. It's you like, uh, it's like Jason Calacanis who I kind of go back and forth about. Like sometimes I really like him and sometimes I'm like, oh God. Too much. Yeah, it's just like you got to be in the mood. Like, yeah. I, don't know, I just don't know if I'm in the mood for Calacanis today, you know. And I, I think that's true. Um, you know, it's just that's the way, and that's just the way the world is. Yeah. So a couple more real quick ones. Um, so speaking of the UFO thing, Mickey Okaku. Um, Mickey Okaku. He's the guy. He's a uh, really famous uh, physicist. He specializes in uh, like string theory, and he he's really one of the big time. Oh, that's uh, the guy who who hosts the science series Exploration with the white hair. Yes, he's, and he's written, he, he hosts Explorations, and he, I think it's another science show, and you'll see him. He wrote The Physics of the Impossible, Visions, Hyperspace. He's, he's really great. He's great, that guy. Oh, he's, I mean, the guy's brilliant. I mean, he's yeah. a brilliant physicist, but he's also one of the rare physicists or scientists that can actually talk to the layman and make science interesting. And yeah, he's a brilliant presenter. Oh, he's, yeah, he's fantastic. And he's been that way for years and years and years. I mean, he's, he's just, um, he, you know, occasionally, you have, like, and there's always complaints that, you, you know, we've had these great physicists who also were public figures back in the 50s and 60s and stuff like that. And nowadays, it's like you don't. You have all these specialists that just are hidden away in these research centers and universities, but they don't communicate with the public. And they talk about how that can be a problem because, you know, you need people in the public need to understand what's going on so there's public support for things that are important that are going on in science. Anyway, so he was interviewed, I think it was on CNBC, about uh, Leslie Keene's new book called uh, about UFOs, uh, generals, pilots, and uh, I think um, public officials go on the record. And that's coming out. And he basically is like, and so they interview him, because I, I mentioned in our interview with uh, Richard Dolan that, that Mickey Okako had given it a very positive review of, of Leslie Keene's book. You know, and Mickey Okako is as legitimate and as credible, as credible person as you are going to find on this planet. And if he's like, look, you know, this is really, uh, you know, interesting work. It needs to be taken seriously. You know, that's an important thing. And so uh, he was interviewed and they said, well, what's, you know, what do you think of all the UFOs? And he's like, listen, you know, this is, these are pilots and in generals who went on the record. It's like, you know, a large percentage of, of sightings and stuff can be explained as natural phenomena, but there is a large number of them that cannot, that were things were caught on multiple radar, that were sighted by multiple pilots at close range, relatively close range for very long periods of time, you know, and it's like, you know, what do you, what do you do about that? It's on, it's on the record. It's, yeah. you know, it's on official government documents. It's like, you know, what do you, how do you deal with that? <laughs> was it swamp gas? It wasn't Venus. It wasn't a cloud. It wasn't a balloon. You know, what do you do? And I just thought that, so it's a really, I'll put a link onto it. So it was a really interesting, um, He's like a three-minute, you know, little video as he's interviewed. I think I think it was CNBC, and uh, I, uh, I posted on the blog as a comment. I think to um, Bams because he and I go back and forth sometimes, and he uh, keeps interested. He's like, "Yeah, that is interesting." Cool. I mean, um, well, if if someone um, prestigious like that's willing to be interviewed on national TV on a on a proper news show, what was the? Well, it was CNN, right? Uh, CN, or I think it was CNBC. C- I, think okay, the guy, CNBC. I think the interviewer, I, I know him from the CNBC, which is like the business financial channel. He's basically um, going totally on the record and saying, yeah. uh, this is very interesting. But he's not saying UFOs exist, but he's just saying, look. Well, he said, he said, he said look, I, I think the chance that the extra, the extraterrestrials exist is, is almost a sure thing. I mean, there's the billions of galaxies and billions of stars in each galaxy. I mean, it's just ridiculous for us to think it, they don't. And he's like, you know, the way we think about physics, a lot of times we go, well, you know, when people say, well, you know, you, aliens could never come here. It's like, don't you know anything about physics and speed of light? He's like, well, physics, our understanding of physics may be 
you know, very primitive compared to what's actually understood at a later period in time. He's like, we keep thinking of an alien race would be like just a few hundred years ahead of us or a couple, you know, but they could be tens of thousands, millions of years more advanced than us. Then what would, what would that mean? Um, our planetary system is relatively new. And so he, he used the analogy. It's like, imagine that you have like an anthill and these ants are on, and then there's a, a super highway is being built right next to the anthill. You know, and the ants are like, well, why don't these beings come and, uh, you know, give us their technology? <laughs> it's right. just stupid, right? I mean, it doesn't make any sense because he's like, if, as physicists, they, um, they, they grade civilizations, I think, or as astrophysicists, is, is like a, a class one, class zero, or class zero, one, two, and three. Like a class one civilization would have full control over planetary energy sources. Like you could control the weather, earthquake, tornadoes, that kind of thing. Class one could control um, the solar system, could control the uh, get, could get all its energy directly from this star and control the star essentially. And class two would be at the galaxy or something like that. And and um, you know we're a class zero, we're nothing, <laughs> right? So why would a class one or two civilization have any interest in us at all, other and, than just to observe us, just like the Star right, Trek but, plot? But even at a certain point, we're so much further beyond that that they're just not even interested in that. Like, there's so millions of years. And it's like, okay, it's just another primitive society that's just, you know, they've seen, who knows. Anyway, it, that's a whole other topic. There's but there's so many Star Trek shows where they, go, where they end up saying, I like observing you humans because you're interesting and you do unexpected things. Well, that's true, but. You know, maybe those societies are just a couple thousand years more advanced. I mean, just think, <laughs> you start my point. It's like it's not interesting anymore. You know? Okay, all right. Let's, let's move well, off let's, this. Yeah, we only got a couple more minutes anyway. I just thought it was interesting. Um, interesting. Um, Next. I heard a great, what's that? Next. Great. I had a great, um, we're going to blow through these last two things because I got to go. So, diversity of opinion sparks creativity. There is this, the Spark podcast, which is an, another podcast I listen to, which is fairly interesting. And they were, talking about essentially how that when you talk, well, generally what happens is people tend to flock together with people like them. Like you follow people on Twitter like yourself, right? And they're using Twitter as a big example. Yeah. And so people read the blogs of the people like themselves. They're like, oh, I'm a middle class, you know, 20, 30, 40 something technology. You know, it's like they're all the same. Everybody's thinking the same way. Everybody uses the same language. And it's that but what happens is that when you're around people who are different than yourself, have different uh, opinions, to think, see the world in a completely different way, that it actually sparks creativity because what happens is even if those ideas are wrong, look, let's say that you're liberal and you read liberal news or you're conservative and you read conservative news, and you go and you force yourself to read someone from the opposite end of the political spectrum, even if you think that they're wrong, what happens is just hearing the wrong idea sparks creativity in your mind. It's just a really weird sort of neuroscientific thing. So, and you were joking with me about how I go to the gym and I talk to all these random people, all these random friends who do just completely different kinds of things. Right. And that might actually be a benefit of that is that, and they were talking about that people who, entrepreneurs who were more successful, who, the entrepreneurs that had a much wider base and broader variety of friends who did different things tended to be more um, successful because they, I guess they saw, they had, an, they could see the world in a, in a lot of different ways. I, and I have to actually, I'm probably late, but I'm going to tell this one last thing, which is good. Okay. There's an article called Double Your Price. Yeah. Uh, and no, I'm not kidding, which is basically saying that whatever your price is, you should double it and see what happens. Like if there's no sign off, if there's no change in like people canceling their accounts or, 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 or a drop in conversions, I guess, then double it. And if there still isn't, double it again. Yeah, I saw that. Yeah. So that would be interesting to do with Plugio. Yeah, I, I think that I, I just need to get it locked down. The, the thir- um, I've just switched it over to the 30 day free trial. So, People can't 
sign up unless they go through the 30-day free trial. There's no more free, you know, purely free accounts. Yeah. I need to leave well, that run and lock it down to a credit card, and then maybe I could try this other thing. I think so. I mean, why not? Double your price and see what happens. I mean, you double your, the easiest way to double your revenue. Yeah. <laughs> you know, and you, you've, you've, as we've talked, a lot of these startups... Um, they, uh, you know, they get a lot more revenue from their highest paying. They can actually cut off all their lower paying accounts and they probably make almost as much money as they were. I mean, I, so, was, I was thinking that I personally pay 25 bucks for Beanstalk, subversion so hosting. Mm-hmm. And I don't think twice about it. It's not a problem. So yeah. why so wouldn't someone pay 20, 25 bucks for Plugio, which is, you know, more, more useful to their business than Beanstalk is? Exactly. I, I think I think you really want to consider that. I mean, as we as we talked about, if you're not going to like you're not going to go down the whole strategy of accumulating as many polyballs as possible and trying to sell it a year or two into some bigger company, you're like I'm, you're going to try actually make this uh, increase the revenue as much yeah. as possible, maximize revenue, which I think is the right approach because I think it'd be difficult to admit enough fireballs for what you're trying to do to make a sellout worth worthwhile is maximize revenue and uh, you know double the price and create make it a real premium service for the people who really need a, a power client to do it specifically what you. Plugio does. So. That's a good idea. All right. Well, I got to get out of here. I got to go coach uh, Colby soccer practice. So. All right, dude. Well, that was a great show. Yeah, it was fun. All right. That's a wrap. We're out. 